Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Though I suppose this could be a crossover episode with Star Wars Universe podcast, and it just might be, because today we are talking about the ethics of this crazy, wacky organization a few of you may have heard of called the Jedi. It's now kind of pretty much uh, assumed as part of the Jedi canon that a large part of the rise of Palpatine was because of the, the problems within the Jedi, and we've seen in Legends novels and in uh, the postquels and in Clone Wars, all sorts of discussion about what could happen after the Jedi have fallen, and we're going to dive into that with Jonah and Rob, who've been with me on a couple episodes recently, talking about Star Wars questions, and I'm super excited to dive into this one, because this is one that we keep kind of alluding to, and, and today we're really going to tackle it head on. So we're going to have all that and more right after a commercial break that the Jedi have mentally programmed me to show to you, even though it's out of my control, because the Jedi are kind of jerks. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. As I mentioned, we're joined once again by uh, Jonah Kelman and Rob McKenzie, two people who have great love of Star Wars, great love of kind of the Star Wars Legends canon. Jonah has been keeping up with a lot more of the uh, more recent stuff. And, you know, gentlemen, I'm glad you could be here because I'm sure it's going to be hard for you to find enough things to say about the problems with the Jedi Order. But I'm hoping between the three of us, we can we can somehow fill this hour. What do you think? I have very, very light opinions on the Jedi. I think they're a wonderful <laughs> organization. They're they're so great. They're perfect and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yep. I just have opinions on military ethics, and I think they're a military organizations. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, 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 Rob, I still have to laugh that we did this whole episode on the problems with militaries in space and things that aren't a mili that claim to not be a military but really are, and the fact that neither you or I thought to bring up the Jedi. Right. Um, so I'm so glad we can get into it here. So let's kind of just start head on. Um. You know, it, it's kind of a fascinating evolution because in the original three movies, the Jedi are presented to us as, you know, the, the knights of the old republic. They kept the peace and this terrible, horrible thing that was done was to wipe out all the Jedi. And, and then in later, even there, you start to see maybe a couple of problems, but especially in later material, the prequels, the Clone Wars, a lot of the Legends canon, the postquels we really start to play with this idea that maybe the Jedi weren't actually the best, especially by the time of Palpatine. So let's kind of jump right into it. What are some of the problems that we see with the Jedi and the Jedi Order in Star Wars? Oh, where do We've we start? We've got a list, start? but just, just throw yeah. one out, yeah. I mean, I think it's their narrow sight that's the biggest mm -hmm. issue. They focus on one thing and they say, this is the way it is, this is the way it has to be. Right. And don't deviate from that. They have, as a simple example, their recruiting age. They're like, yep, we have to pick only kids because kids are susceptible to brainwashing. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would actually argue that the Jedi, as an organization, as you see them specifically in the movies, um, mm -hmm. it, it, notably... If you watch the original trilogy, and I ha I've only watched the original trilogy, and I've only watched the first two prequels. Um, right. I abandoned the movie canon. <laughs> the Jedi are a pack of liars and assholes. To a I, person. I, 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 we're trying to keep these a little more family friendly. So you mind saying the liars and it's fine. Yeah. The the Jedi are a pack of liars. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, from a certain point of view, uh, I told you the truth, Yoda, wars not make one great... Like, they they decide to craft an image to Luke, right? Mm -hmm. So the historical Jedi aren't 
are are aware that they're not good people by the end of it, and then they decide to reform their image for the next generation. They make this up. Right. The, the whole mythos is crafted by them. They they don't have a they don't have an ethical relationship to truth telling, as far as mm -hmm. I can tell. Yeah. Um, in many ways, one of my academic degrees is in sociology of religion, and I think there's a lot of ways in which the Jedi Order should really be understood as a religion, you know, and the Jedi kind of as a priesthood. Um, because, and the reason why I say that is because one of the things that can often go wrong with religion, when you, when you study it from this kind of sociological perspective, is that, you know, the, the kind of institutionalization of it and the institutionalization of it, and that, and that over time, the institution that is in theory supposed to be kind of like helping people get to a thing becomes the thing, you know? And, and here what I'm talking about is like, if the, the point of the Jedi is to help people better understand the force and the light side of the force, over time, as can often happens, it becomes the, well, we are the light side of the force and you can't understand it without us. And you, if you question us, you question them. You know, think about... Catholic church hierarchy or the Middle Ages or, or any other kind of religious institution like that from, from present day or any point of time of, you know, to question us, we don't just tell you about God, we are the representative of God. And so to question us is to question the God. And that's so much of what I see in, in especially in the prequels, but also the way it's described in the Clone Wars and, and Rebels and, and then how it's referenced in the postquels is just this kind of brilliant illustration of what happens when an institution kind of stops believing in the thing the institution is supposed to be believing in and just starts believing in itself. And the like, the Jedi have to be saved because the Jedi have to be saved instead of the Jedi are good because they point to this other thing. Largely agreed. The, mm -hmm. um, I've mentioned it before, Purnell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy is the law of, of bureaucratic capture, right? Which is exactly what right. you're talking about. Where... In any organization, be it, be it a church, be it a, be it a rotary club, right? Eventually, the people that control the rules and control the purse are the ones who control the organization. Right. And the Jedi are totally dominated by the, by the Jedi Council, right? Who right. are the rule makers. The knights are the ones who go out and do stuff largely. But the, the council who doesn't actually go out and do stuff are the ones who make the rules about how people are supposed to do things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jonah, do you disagree with that assessment of it? I think that's mostly accurate. There are some instances in the Clone Wars of members of the council going out and doing things, like Yoda going to Kashyyyk in Revenge of the Sith, which I know is one of the ones you haven't seen. Yep. Uh, if you look at the books, uh, there's one where Mace Windu goes after his apprentice um who is also or his ex-apprentice because she is now a master and a member of the jedi council and the two of them are off on this planet having philosophical debate but by and yep. large yeah the folks on the ground don't have a say in policy the ones who have to live up to it and I, that also extended back to the old republic um you can see that satil sean a member of the jedi council three thousand years before you and i'm going to try to stay not get too far into the weeds, but we're going to go there mm -hmm. a little bit because my expertise is in the older books. Um, she's like, yeah, we're gonna, I'm just going to stay on Coruscant and I'm going to deal with this politics and I'm going to talk with the Supreme Commander and send my apprentice out on a mission. Right. And I think that's one of the really interesting points with the Jedi is the way that it becomes this institution that, that is, like you said, it's, it's driven by the Council 
and the council is not supposed to be questioned and to question them is to, you know, to question everything that's good. And also the way it becomes, Mm. I think, again, often the way like religious leadership or bureaucratic leadership can become utterly separated from the people they're trying to help. I think one thing. Go ahead. I think that to question the council is not a problem in and of itself, but they are supposedly masters of the force. And so to question the council is to question the force. And therefore you don't have wisdom and therefore you're wrong. Right. And that's very much the kind of religious idea of, you know, we speak for God, we speak for Allah, we speak for Buddha, whatever it is, you know. Right. Um, And and where I'm going, though, with the thing about the the being disconnected is that, you know, especially in and and Rob, you haven't seen seen these, I know, but you can uh, kind of understand what we're talking about. In the Clone Wars and in uh, the Rebels TV show, and especially in some of the, the novels and things like that. We keep getting this idea that for a long time, but especially during the Clone Wars, you know, common people had stopped looking up to the Jedi, that the Jedi still believed their own hype about we are the saviors of the galaxy and we are the protectors of truth and goodness and everyone loves us. But then they'd go out into the world and they'd meet people who were like, all we know is that you come every 20 years or so and steal our children. And then yep. demand that we fight in your wars and we don't understand your wars. And you come and like blow things up on our planet because you have to rescue us from the separatists, you know. And the, it, there's just a great illustration of how the Jedi had become like they didn't understand the people they were supposed to be helping anymore. Yeah. it, it A lot of the things that I've seen from in so like... I'm going and picking up some of these. Like I, I read the, uh, I read a pretty long synopsis of Shatterpoint, for instance, which sounds fascinating and it's pretty near on my to-read list. Is that the Jedi, because they have this Force connection, they only listen to that, and they've mm-hmm. deliberately closed off their even their ability to have these outside horizons. The the fact that they raise all Jedi are raised from children within the Jedi organization means they don't, they don't have any Jedi that know how to do plumbing, for instance, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. And uh, so there might be, but that would be in the service core. Yeah, I was but doing th- some research into that, and those are like the ones who flunked out. They're like, you can grow plants or like become a mechanic who knows the Force, but it's a relatively—they're not real Jedi, right? Exactly. Yeah. They they don't and they won't listen to their opinions. Absolutely right? not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if it, so if a Jedi no, actually knows anything, they're deliberately excluded from the from decision making. Right. Right. And that's that's awkward as an organizational structure. And uh, I have a hard time squaring the circle with them being some ultimate arbiters of anything when they've deliberately set themselves up to only listen to the Force. But they've, they demonstrate over and over, even just in, in small scope things, that they make mistakes. Yeah. Even, the, even the most experienced, most Force-connected Jedi Masters like their for their force visions of the future aren't aren't it, it, like those aren't inherently accurate right right i mean and, and that's you know in i know you haven't seen this uh uh rob but jonah you have and certainly i think a lot of fans have in the eighth movie uh the last jedi which is very controversial i know but we're going to talk about sort of what it says in the canon mm-hmm. you know that's one of the things that luke says to yoda is that you know, part of why he thinks the Jedi should die out is because he says, you know, the Jedi were so lost in their own hypocrisy that they couldn't even recognize the like ultimate Sith, the, the ultimate embodiment of the dark side in Darth Sidious in their midst until it was too late. And he had totally taken over. 
and and I think if when you watch especially the the prequels, even more unfortunately the the third that I know you haven't seen, you know, so much of that's about Palpatine being able to make them so suspicious that you know they they all act against the codes they're supposed to be believing in, and it, it's Anakin seeing that hypocrisy as part of why he turns away from them. Right. I think one of the things that we see very frequently is that the having a war begins to break Jedi philosophy. Right. And so let's talk about that. Why is that? Because we've talked about that a lot on like the, the Star Wars universe side of things, but for some of the listeners here who haven't heard that, talk a bit, especially Jonah, about the Republic Commando books that I know you, you are such a huge fan of and you got me and, and, and Rob's read a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've read the first one. I started on the second one. What, what do those books have to say about the Jedi as generals and like what happens to them when they are generals? So part of what's interesting about this is that the this war, the Clone Wars, is not between the Jedi and the Sith, at least not explicitly. It's between the Republic and Separatists. And so right. the army isn't <clears throat> comprised of Jedi to begin with. It's comprised of the clone troopers. And then the Jedi are told, you're going to be our commanders, um, which is very wild for Jedi because they are generally mediators and individuals who go out to accomplish individual missions. If you go look at Phantom Menace, that's what you expect. That's how they were supposed to stop right. wars. You were you sent two Jedi to a planet, a master and apprentice, and then they talked to people. And if needed, they were able to defend themselves and get out. But they right. talked to people and prevented the blockade and worked behind the scenes and negotiated. Whereas yeah, they they specifically say to Queen Amidala, we can protect you. We cannot fight a war for you. Like, that's not our role. Right. They are peacekeepers or if not peacekeepers, mediators, but in a conflict. And then we get to the mm. Clone Wars and they're told everybody who's an apprentice, every kid who's over the age of eight and has a lightsaber, they are now a commander in the army. Everyone who has become a Jedi Knight, whether it be because they mastered combat forms or because they're very good at sorting truth from lies, they are now a general and will have hundreds of clones under their command. They will have... Um, venator class assault ships essentially star destroyers if not one more than one and for a lot of jedi that broke them because they were just like how how am i supposed to like the lightsaber i can understand as a defensive tool but i can't really comprehend having a ship that can raise a planet and calling myself a peacekeeper right and that's where it begins yeah the my when when I started reading Republic Commando and running into they're like, hey, you didn't even know that you're a commander. You've just been given this rank. She runs into the clones and she they tell her you're a commander. Mm -hmm. She's like, uh, <laughs> I I don't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, officer training in our world is an intense course, right? It's a college education to become an officer, just just to become an officer at an ensign level, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, the the the, and we wouldn't trust an ensign to run a naval campaign, right? Right. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the key things, and it, it's both the fact that they're thrown in these positions they're not ready for, but also, and I think this is, um, and as the, the, both the Clone Wars TV show and a lot of the books we're talking about really make clear, this was very much part of Palpatine's plan is that their whole idea of we have to protect life. You know, our job is to keep everyone alive as much as we can. 
that doesn't work in war, you know, and that part of warfare is often about sacrifice and is about saying, I'm going to send this unit in because it's going to have and it may well have high casualties. And but that will mean that all these other units can be incredibly successful. And so overall, the casualties will be drastically lowered and will win, which will end the casualties. But I'm going to basically be throwing a lot of lives away. And that's I mean, we can talk to the end of days about military ethics in general and the problems with that. But that's certainly, I think, for the Jedi, that is something that is just so hard to contemplate and so against everything they've been taught that things start to unravel once they have, either they have to accept that and it really goes poorly or they refuse to accept that, which means that they're kind of terrible generals and they lose. I think that's also exacerbated by their expectations of themselves with their connection to the force. They believe that they'll see an ambush before it's coming. They'll know what to do. And so when they're given an option of either sacrifice one squad and save everybody else or don't sacrifice anybody and there's a chance you can pull through everybody alive safely but if you screw up everybody will die they're gonna probably go for that second option because they can try to avoid like there's Mm -hmm. a chance that they can avoid death at all and that means they're gonna probably in the long run because they're not as perfect as they believe they are lose more troops right take they're gamblers they're not conservative right because they believe that they can they can cheat the dice right every time because they can cheat at dice if they wanted to right Right. and and they do i mean it's kind of like they've watched a lot of action movies you know i Mm -hmm. in other parts of this podcast i talk about how often in mcu or dc or other comic book movies the villain sets that up, you know, like uh, Green Goblin in the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, you know, will you will you save the woman you love or suffer the innocent children? And the idea is to try and make the hero make a choice. But in those movies, the hero is almost always able to figure out a way to save both. The mm-hmm. Jedi have kind of bought into that and they always try to save both. And, and sometimes it doesn't work. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I think another factor is when you get into these violent confrontations for many of the Jedi, it's the first time that they're experiencing death around them, particularly violent death. And mm-hmm. so, in addition to having the pressures of command authority on their shoulders, they're now experiencing people that they have connected to dying in droves around them. And right. I can very easily see that driving Jedi mad. And you can see in the books various Jedi being like, I am going to like resign my commission unless you like put me into the hospitals and I'm, I'm just a healer now. Do not ask me to command. Mm-hmm. I will command <clears throat> surgeons in the hospital. I will not tell people to shoot anybody. I can't do that. Right. And, and I think the additional factor there, and here we're getting just into the Clone Wars. It's not a fundamental problem with the Jedi itself, but I think it's worth naming in this is that, and again, it's the brilliance of what Palpatine sets up for the Jedi because the clones are in this weird sort of semi- limbo state of like they're not actual people in terms of like legal and moral understandings of the time you know they should be but they're basically like slaves created for war without any other purpose and like that it just it kind of like makes a a a logic feedback loop for the jedi and makes them short circuit of you know when they start to develop humanity and they develop you know their own individuality in ways you would have never expected the jedi have no idea what to do with that yeah that they they and he they're set up right mm-hmm. where because the clones clearly are people when we look at them right. we see people right 
yeah they the jedi are are stuck because they it, it, they are trained to not view them as people but they then they're, they're fighting their instincts right they look at them and mm-hmm. they see people and so they train themselves to ignore their instincts on what is a morally correct choice about whether or not they should be able to send a person to death for instance right and uh that kind mm-hmm. of undermines their ability to make other choices elsewhere so, so let's get into some of the other problems with the Jedi themselves. And, you know, I and I think all, all three of us at various points and various podcasts and a lot of other people have often made the joke of, you know, only the Sith speak in absolutes is in and of itself an absolute statement. Yes. Um, And that kind of leads into kind of like this hypocrisy that about a lot of the Jedi ideas that – and so let's talk about, like, what what's wrong with Obi-Wan stating – as an absolute, in absolute, and the, and the kind of rest of the hypocrisy that goes up with the these Jedi rules that are presented as though they're so easy to follow. Give me a quick second to pull up the Jedi code, because that has a bunch of absolutes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Jedi code for a second, because that has a bunch of absolutes in it. First line, there is no emotion, there is peace. There is no That's ignorance. There is knowledge. There is no passion. There is serenity. There is no chaos. There is harmony. There is no death. There is the force. Now, as a person who exists in the world, I don't exist in the universe of Star Wars, all of the there is no... that There are ignorant people. There are passionate people. There is chaos everywhere. Mm-hmm. And saying, no, 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 the person that you lost who died, they're just with the force now, is pretty much one of the most tone-deaf things you can say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they just start by ignoring how people actually act. Like, the basis of the Jedi Order is, let's ignore the fundamentals of human psychology. Right. There's a great line in Darth Plagueis, which is a, a Legends novel, but it's certainly a lot of it has been pulled into canon and, and really, it's about uh, the person who trains Darth Sidious, but then it's also a lot about Darth Sidious himself as he rises to power. And, and the last chapters of the book happen during the movie, The Phantom Menace. And there's a great scene in the book where you're seeing the scene that you see in the movie of Obi-Wan and young Anakin going into the uh, Senator Palpatine, now Chancellor Palpatine's office. But you see it from his perspective. And what he sees is that, you know, Anakin kind of says something about his mother and Obi-Wan immediately is like, no, remember, Anakin, we live in the present. We don't live in the past. We don't focus on those things. And what we see on screen is Anakin saying like, yes, master. Yes, Obi-Wan. And in the book, they talk about how Palpatine loves this moment because he can sense like this rush of dark side anger in Anakin at this moment. He can sense how much Anakin is rejecting that, but also hiding it. And he's kind of just enjoying the naivete of Obi-Wan for not seeing it at all. And that's the moment I think of a lot when I think of this, like, just like for Anakin especially, but I think it happens all the time. But Anakin's the perfect kind of microcosm of it. Every decision along the way, anyone who's taken Psych 101 should be able to tell the Jedi, you are setting Anakin up to betray you. Like, there's no other way for this to end. But because they just cannot possibly put themselves in his shoes, they can't see that. It's interesting that Obi-Wan can't see that, Um, because if you look at the Clone Wars show, during that, he has feelings for a woman, the Countess Satine of Mandalore, and he questions the Jedi, but he doesn't say anything. 
in Shatterpoint, <clears throat> Mace Windu questions the Jedi, but doesn't say anything. In Dark Rendezvous, Yoda questions the Jedi Order and doesn't say anything. All of these Jedi are questioning what they've been told, what they teach, what they believe. And yet, since everybody else is putting on this facade of belief and harmony and serenity and knowledge and peace, Mm -hmm. they can't find somebody that they're comfortable discussing it with. And it's actually between Anakin and Ahsoka, mostly, that we see this. She asks him questions, and since he's still very visibly wrestling with his doubt, he's like, you know what, I don't know sometimes. And we can, it's fascinating to see him, or to see anybody actually verbally question the Jedi. Because even though everybody does it internally, very few people do it externally, and that's where things fall apart. Yeah. I, I would actually argue, so there's the Jedi are missing a whole, like, thing that an organization needs. Two things, actually. You brought up another one that I hadn't even thought about. They have no confessors. Mm, yeah. There's no way to, there's no way to admit fault as a, as a Padawan. Their code doesn't, imp- implies that the Jedi are always perfect, we mentioned, right? And the they have no way to admit fault. They have no confessors. They have no method for anonymously saying either I or somebody else made a mistake, right? They they have they have no they have and this is a this is a thing that at large corporate organizations you you have a secondary method for providing feedback in almost all circumstances, right? If I don't want to interact with my manager about a problem that they caused, I can go to HR. Mm -hmm. Um. And the Jedi have no, they have no way to anonymously give anything, right? Um, Their best just... method would be going to the Senate, and that's oh, that's worse. Yeah, yeah. right. That's well, much cause, worse. Because right, cause there's two different directions that you need. That one is the I have actual feedback that I want to pass up the line to my superiors, mm-hmm. and the other is I kind of need a therapist to talk about my doubts without my superiors like judging me for it you know right. and both of those are are forbidden to them right and um this is a question that i asked in our chat this week i asked because i i didn't know do the jedi have equivalent of a jag um in the in a military organization the judge advocate general's office is an office that deals with military misconduct of some variety they have multiple types of punishment they the military is super strict about how they can even punish people right Mm-hmm. But they have a they have an office of people whose job it is to be prosecutors and defense in all court martial cases. Right. They they have a legal office. You are a military officer whose job is to try other military officers or defend them. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't have an internal court system. They don't have an internal dispute system. They don't have a they don't have anything like that. Is what yeah. is what Jonah was saying. Yeah, and it even becomes a key issue in the Clone Wars TV show in that you get to a point where Ahsoka is being accused of a really terrible crime. And um, because the Jedi don't—what she's done has done great damage to the Jedi, but also to civilians. And so the civilians are deeply concerned that the Jedi have no way to, you know, deal with her, uh, at least in a way that they're going to find, like, just— and because their approach is, well, like, if she's a Jedi, she cannot be tried in a civilian court, the result is that they kick her out of the Jedi Order. Even before, even though, like, at this point her guilt still hasn't been proved, they kick her out just so that she can stand trial. 
And what happens is she is proven innocent, but she's so broken by the experience and her faith in the Jedi is so broken by them that, that she doesn't go back to the Jedi. And it's part of why, you know, if you've seen The Mandalorian or other shows like that, and she says, like, I'm I'm a Force user, I'm not a Jedi. It, it's That's why. And it's because they don't have that kind of system at all. I think a lot of her frustration there was because she was like, I didn't do it. Can the Jedi trust me? Because I've trusted you my entire life. And they're like, nope, we're not going to trust you. And then yeah. when she's proven innocent, they're like, we're ready to take you back now. And she's like, if you can't trust me, why do you want me to be a part of your organization? Right. And when they didn't give her a satisfactory answer, she's like, all right, peace. And wandered off to do cool Ahsoka things. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, both the Sith and the Jedi are the two extremes. You know, the Sith are individual Uber Alice, and that's like, you know, the the I alone am everything. Um, not to sort of quote a live song, but the <laughs> and, and the Jedi, it's the opposite. It's that all individuals are supposed to be subsumed to the greater order, you know, and even there, they're like, well, but Ahsoka, do you understand why for the general principle of the thing, this is what we should do because it's for the best of everyone, even though she herself is getting completely railroaded by it. So, so with that, let, let's kind of turn to, to – I think we've kind of been re- referencing this, but let's kind of focus especially on it. I think another big problem with the Jedi is that they have these very unrealistic expectations of their members, you know. And, of course, Anakin's story is that their their expectation that he can avoid attachment is what leads to his fall. To, to Padme somewhat, because the Clone Wars and the, and the books really highlight, also he is so attached to his generals and to Ahsoka and to his soldiers in the ways that you're not supposed to be. What what is it about the Jedi in terms of expecting this sort of like monk like discipline from its members that they don't always get? I think what the Jedi see, the reason this rule has come about is because they see individuals becoming attached and then when they lose that attachment having negative emotional reactions that spiral to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um having recently read Revan, uh, which is set many thousand years before most of what we've been talking about, he says this is rejecting attachment is much worse than acknowledging it because people will be people. They will have these feelings, have these attachments. And then when they suffer loss, they'll have absolutely no idea how to react and they will break completely. And Mm -hmm. you have every individual who has any loss will be broken from it. Whereas if you have, this idea of attachment and working through pain and finding others to share your grief with so that you can cope with it and live with it and not succumb to it. While more people may have some tendency towards dark, more, much more will recover and you will have less loss overall. But again, if we look at the philosophical extremism of the Jedi, any amount of darkness in you is too much. Right. It's interesting. I I feel like I've kind of gone on my own personal journey in terms of my understanding of, uh, you know, this idea of the dark side and things like that in terms of my own politics and views of activism and things like that. Because when I was young, I thought that the Yoda philosophy just made utter and total sense, you know, because I, in part I saw, you know, I, I, you know, parents who were very emotional and problematic, you know, a lot of problems they had were like, 
I, I listened to the two of them screaming at each other and they couldn't hear what the other was saying. They could just hear their fears of the other. And, and so I really got into this idea of like, oh, yes, if you just be, you know, Spock is, has it right. You know, I think Spock in many ways would be the perfect idea of a Jedi. Spock from Star Trek, obviously. And that he's, you know, he doesn't have emotion. He can just have logic. He can just perceive things. And, and, and really latching onto this idea that like even anger or hate at the worst injustice is always bad, you know? And so I was very much in favor, like only nonviolent protest and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, in the last five or 10 years within like activist circles, there's been a lot of discussion of like, yes, nonviolence is great, but anger can fuel you in good ways. Like you should be angry at injustice. You should hate injustice sometimes and want to do you know, ride that passion as part of your activism and, and that, it, you know, not to let it like lose you entirely. And the kind of, and Saul Guerrero, I think is a great example of like the direction it can go. But I, I, so this is all just by way of saying that I feel like when I was younger, I really thought like Yoda has everything correct. And, and as I've grown, I think in part because of the kind of cultural shift, at least on the left around these things, but also just my own growth, I've really changed that a lot. And I really now start to understand why people have so many problems with this Jedi idea of, you know, just never let emotion get to you. Never be angry. Never be hateful. Never be loving. Just just be at peace. Right. The, the Jedi as an organization also, like, you talk about Spock specifically here, right? Of being mm -hmm. at peace. But Spock isn't. Um... And he knows this and he understands this, that right. it, that his lack of emotion is a goal and an aspiration. He knows that it's never achievable and sometimes he discards it when he feels it's necessary. Um, he, is, he sounds and appears really logical, but in fact he is very passionate about protecting the things that he cares about. And right. he, it, he understands that emotion should drive you but it shouldn't be the final deciding factor in your decisions. He wants it, he wants logic to be what makes his decisions, but he wants to make them for emotional reasons underneath the hood. Mm -hmm. um, and the Jedi don't want that. The, the Jedi want the, the appearance of the pop culture Spock, the emotionless Spock that everybody thinks about, but that realistically as a character isn't, isn't there. Right. Right. And I think, Oh, Jonah, go ahead. I didn't have anything there. Okay. I think that's really true. Yeah, that Spock is one more example of the people who are just bare, like, on the outside, it seems like a Jedi. You're right. But but you're right. He's actually just holding it all in. And one reason why I want to bring up a different part of the media, but we've talked so much about, like, the Jedi in that period right before Order 66 and leading up to Order 66. And so the question could always be, like, well, were they mostly actually pretty awesome? It's just that one period. And this is only going back about 200 years, but the, the High Republic novels, I am really loving right now because they're actually exploring this further, especially the question of attachment. And it's interesting because in, in those books, there's a sort of idea of, there's a kind of laxness when you're a Padawan and when you're young. Uh, like it reminds me of um, when I was in seminary, I knew a bunch of Jesuit students and they were kind of horn dogs, which kind of surprised <laughs> me. And and like they told me, and like, you know, one of their kind of like priest leaders had said something like, look, you know, get this out of your system. Explore it because when you sort of fully commit is when we will want you to sort of take your vows of celibacy, you know, and all that. And I 
I knew at least two Jesuits who were kind of douchebags who would do things like, you know, say to girls like, oh, but you'll be the last one and I'll always remember you. And I was at a party where four different women realized that he'd use the same line on all four of them. (laughs) Um, But putting that aside, you know, and in this in this book, there's kind of that idea of like they can, you know, kind of play doctor while they're Padawans and explore and and. And I mean, quite literal. Ha- they talk about having sex. It's no longer the very sort of G-rated fade to, fade to black of a lot of Star Wars. But there, it's causing just as many problems. And like, there are Jedi who are really wrestling with the dark side because they still love thirty years later uh, the the pa- the people they were Padawans with. And you know, some of them are okay with it. Some of them are holding on to that. And some of them are still you know seeking emotional connection with other people, sexual or romantic or otherwise. Uh, the Republic Commando books talk about this somewhat, about the Jedi who are, you know, in that moment of total aloneness. They they crave companionship from someone else. And I just love the High Republic because it really gets into this idea of this this fight against attachment has always been a problem with the Jedi. And at a different point in time, maybe they approached it differently and they were very lax in a way that they're now very strict, but that it was still just as much of a problem and still, you know, everybody was kind of having doubts, but no one would talk about it. This is a bit of a tangent from where you just were, um, but in the Old Republic, which is further back than the High Republic, there's a scene where a Jedi Padawan is told by the Council he's not ready for his trials. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why not? I'm ready. My master who is on the Council and who y'all just said you respected her opinion very much says I'm ready. What gives? And they stand to their decision, and so he goes out into Coruscant, to the depths of Coruscant, to find a fight. Like, he, he's not looking to attack somebody. He's looking for somebody to attack him, or somebody to right. attack somebody else so he can get in the way. And after interfering with a brawl that's happening in the Undercity, he comes back to his master and is given a task uh, off-planet, and He's like, what about all of this stuff that's going on in the Undercity? Like, part of what I do is help police this part of town. And when I'm in a good mood, it's generally a positive thing. I'm actually helping people stay safe. This was just an excuse this time. But generally, it is a positive action. And she's like, it's not our job to handle these small things, more or less. Like, this is small potatoes. What I have you going on is something grand and important and involves the fate of the galaxy. We don't want Spider-Man. We don't want your friendly neighborhood Jedi. And I honestly, I love that you mentioned Spider-Man. I think Peter Parker would be a fantastic Jedi. Hmm. Like, except that he, he would want to just hang, you know, he would want to find like muggers on Coruscant. That's great. He's, I, I would he's rather the it, Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> Or, yeah. that's what I want the Jedi to be. I want the Jedi to be Peter Parker. I just want a bunch yeah. of Spider-Men with lightsabers. That's... Oh, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying that, like, the Jedi Council right. would not be in favor of this either, yeah. The Jedi Council wants, like, Thor. Yeah. Somebody who comes in, smites, and then goes back off to their home planet to wait the next world-breaking apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So I just need to ask a question here about this stuff. And, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's on this idea of Jedi and not having attachments and things like that. Especially in the Legends canon, one thing that seems to get established is that Jedi powers are very much hereditary. You know, like 
Luke is the child of Anakin, as is Leia, and that's why they have force powers. Han and Leia have kids, and so they have great force powers and all this kind of stuff. At the same time, the Jedi are not supposed to form attachments. So where do we get more Jedi from? Like, it's kind of the same thing of how, like, in the Sith, we talked about, on again, an episode on Star Wars, about how in the Sith philosophy, you're allowed to have attachments, but almost no one wants to take a lover because you can't trust anyone that much and be that intimate. Like, so where do more Force users come from? It seems very odd that we established both that, like, you can pass on Force powers, like, genetically, but also both sides have all these restrictions against, you know, loving someone else in, in the ways that can, is one way of making more Jedi, making more Force users. So two answers here. One is the Force. That's the glib answer. The Force will just right. appear in people and give them powers. The other answer is, again, harkening back to the Old Republic, in the Sith Empire at the time, they mentioned that they do have a complex dossier of all of the Sith Lords and their relations, and the mm. Emperor and his Dark Council, the Jedi Council of the Sith Empire, they scheme to put Dark Lords in a room together and put them <laughs> in positions where they will have to learn to depend and trust on each other as much as two Sith can. Mm -hmm. Like, they play matchmaker to generate more powerful children. I love the idea of Sith Yentas here. Um, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And like, I, I was like, that makes sense. Also kind of weird that they're doing it on such a high level, but... It, honestly, but they don't need to. So, right, um, right. From, a, from a pure genetic standpoint, um, you, have a, you have a couple of things going on. First, you have regression to the mean. Einstein's children weren't geniuses, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, the, the, it's actually like... Unless, unless the traits are pretty strong, it's not super likely that two force users are going to produce a force user, another force user. I would actually argue right. that the Skywalker family is kind of, kind of an exception because of the way that Anakin is, right? Right. Uh, but um, the other half of that is it's probably a very widespread like recessive trait in the population to be a force user. Mm -hmm. And so just like you'll have in our population, you know, a random genetic issue crop up because two people lined up just right. Right. Um, we, we end up looking for these genetic issues, but they're like, there's all sorts of things you can have. You can have redheads suddenly crop up out of nowhere. Right. Because being a redhead's a, re a yeah. recessive trait, but the two people who aren't redheads can, it can have a kid and that kid will be a redhead. Right. Right. And so I, I mean, you, you're just going to get force users if it's if it's genetic to that degree just out of randomness right out of recessive traits being out there and widespread across the population assuming that the jedi haven't spent you know haven't done a dune style you know massive breeding project to reshape the very nature of every species right. in the galaxy <laughs> right i wouldn't put it past them to be honest i i agree you're not wrong yeah. but <laughs> No, well, that that's good at least because I I started to wonder if maybe somewhere in the legends canon there was something about how a kind of secret reason the Jedi tried to discourage attachment is because you used to have these like Jedi couples who were creating super Jedi and it was this big problem. So I'm glad at least we don't have any of that nonsense kind of thing. Um, one of the reasons why I think this question is so interesting, and we're going to get to some a couple more specifics, but I want to start by by going in this direction. You know. When someone says, here are all of these rules, and if you don't follow these rules, utter chaos will happen. 
the question then is to say, okay, well, can we find any examples where we didn't follow the rules? And one thing I think is really interesting, and I think this is somewhat in Legends, but certainly in the on-screen stuff, almost all the examples we have of post-Order 66 Force users seem to completely break all of the rules that the Jedi were so afraid about and are just fine. You know, like, Luke was trained as an adult. He turns out okay, clearly. Uh, in some Legends books, he actually falls in love and has attachments very much so. Um, the character of Kanan Jarrus in... The Rebels TV show is, uh, forgive me, spoilers here. If you haven't seen Rebels, maybe skip ahead a little bit. But that character is a, like he was a Padawan when Order 66 happened, but he's enough of a Jedi that he's able to train another Jedi. And he has a wife he's very much in love with. And he has very strong emotions, he feels. Um, Cal, the hero of the Jedi Fallen Order game, this is very true of. He, again, was a Padawan. He didn't grow up as a Jedi he's doing pretty darn well for himself. He's able to resist the temptation of the Inquisitors in the dark side. Um, I, I know each of you have only seen some of these stories or maybe not many of them at all, but I'm just kind of curious, even just knowing as I, as I recite them that there's a lot of others. Do you think there's some intentionality here that kind of the Star Wars universe is trying to say, like, here? Uh, uh, oh, another one is Rey, pa Rey, of course. You know, she also mm -hmm. wasn't a kid when she discovers her Force powers. She's very much an adult when she's found. Um, and she clearly has strong feelings uh, for Finn and for, for the others, uh, and for Ben. I mean, she develops a romantic relationship with Ben Solo. Do you think this is just kind of like we're telling new stories and romance is a good part of a story and we're not kind of aware of what we're doing? Or do you think there's some intentionality here of saying, like, yeah, post-Order 66, you got a lot of light side Force users not following the rules of the Jedi, and they're doing just fine? I mean, I think that also occurred before Order 66, um, mm -hmm. we have the strong attachment between Ahsoka, like Ahsoka's feelings towards Anakin and Obi-Wan and to the clones that she worked with. She's doing right. fine and she came up before as a Jedi before Order 66. Um, Barriss Ophi is another one, at least in the Legends canon, the novels. She has strong attachments to the individuals that she works with and did fine up until... Right some other things happen but we don't need to get into that um i think it's more of a demonstration of the flaws of the jedi order rather mm -hmm. than um a drive for particular narratives it, I, right i would also argue a couple of things one if a jedi actually followed the code they'd be a real boring character and so yeah. nobody wants to write those yeah and so like from a purely like from a purely like meta outside of the universe perspective right the the authors are only going to write the oddballs that don't follow right. this this gender order very well yeah. um and a character who forms no relationships then what what's the acting you know there's right. very little character growth to do and yeah exactly and on top of that the the jedi code is structured as we've been saying pretty poorly Mm -hmm. right and so it's like it's a set of like aspirations for them to but it's not structured as aspirations it's structured as absolutes right right and the the authors are just going to in general have people that are flawed mm -hmm. right that have this aspirational goal that they're just not very good at except that them them not being good at it makes them better and more interesting characters because everybody wants to be a character in a story that interacts with other people in the story. Right. Right. 
So. Yeah, bouncing off of your first point, like the demands of narrative, many of the mm-hmm. characters pre-order 66, they question the Jedi Order and many of them leave the Jedi Order because of right. their discontent with it. But we get those characters because they're the ones who tell the interesting stories. We do see the stories of the Jedi who nod along and say, yes, sir, and carry on. But their stories aren't as compelling because there's less conflict and less yep, for us right. to relate to. Yeah, I, I think that's it. That kind of, kind of underlining what I'm saying is that we have so many of these examples, both before and after, of A, because it is just narratively better, but also that, you know, characters who don't fit this idea and they, they do do okay. You know, going back again to that law of bureaucracy, one thing that happens there a lot is that you become so afraid of change, in part because of institutionalization and like wanting to protect your own little piece of the pie, that the idea of change has to be made very scary. And so having the change actually be okay is is terrifying. And I, I want to talk about the ways in which the various parts of the Star Wars canon or legends Explore this question of, well, what would come after the Jedi? Because in the sequels, at least, we get somewhat of a story about this, though it is incredibly incoherent, in part because you had two very different visions of what that future would be. And and, and we've talked about the problems with that with J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson on other podcasts, and I don't want to go back into that. But certainly, you know, we have the idea that there is a place where we're trying to raise people as kids to become proper Jedi. And it fails quite dramatically, and one of them turns, a number of them turn to the dark side and kill a lot of the others. At the same time, you know, and so that by by the last Jedi movie, Luke is really talking about how we shouldn't rebuild the Jedi as they are. That if there are going to be light side users of the Force, we should rebuild something totally different and totally new, and the Jedi should be allowed to die. Uh, and then, of course, the third movie kind of goes back on all that, and again, that's a debate and get into another time. But I'm curious for you all, um, Jonah, to some extent, with the, with the movies and, and the legends, and Rob, I know you only know the legends, but w- let's talk about what are some of these visions that we have in different parts of the, the Star Wars uh, fiction of what would happen, like what would it look like to rebuild the Jedi, and how should you do that, or how shouldn't you do that? Rob, I'm going to let you go first, because I think you have some comments from the Jedi Academy series, and I have some thoughts on that, as well as stuff later on down the line from New Jedi Order yeah jedi agreed Mm -hmm. so the the jedi academy series luke is fundamentally trying to rebuild what he believes is an ideal ideal organization right he doesn't have a ton of information he doesn't because this is they were written before the jedi code was even like published in a in a thing right um the he doesn't have anything like that to, to rely on he's just trying to to like kind of muddle through and do his best and frankly, his organization is probably better than the original Jedi. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Like, he he's trying to literally make a group of people who are who are trying to make the world better. Right? They're force users and their their only really overriding thing is try to do more good than harm, please. Right. I think that, that would if if you if you had an overriding ethos of the of the Jedi Academy in the in the Legends books, that's that's it. As he's founding the Jedi Academy. And, and, yeah. On top of that, if you do wrong, make amends. Yes. Yes, mm. exactly. It, like, you will probably screw things up. Luke Luke is so, is so beset by, am I good enough um, in every Legends novel? 
where he's just like, you know, I'm going to goof this up. You know, if I'm going to goof it up, these people that I'm training are probably going to goof it up too. What do we do when we make mistakes? And his response is just always own up to everything. Right. Well, and that, that also seems wonderful because I, I don't know if they ever say this explicitly, but um, that seems such a rejection of what I've always thought is one of the dumbest thing Yoda ever says, which is do or do not, there is no try. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and actually, um, uh, uh, Riki, Haya- Riki and Sarah Hayashi, uh, who I know you both know, we just got into this on our the other podcast, Star Wars Universe, as we were discussing it in the TV show Rebels, because that question comes up there. And we're talking about, like, you know, you can from a certain point of view, that statement makes sense. But from a lot of others, it doesn't. And it sounds like Luke is, is agreeing with that, you know, because he's sort of saying, like, it's okay to not do it. It's okay to try and mess up as long as you kind of own that and don't get defensive and acknowledge that. It, is there ever a point in those books where that kind of, that rule of do or do not, there is no try, he ever should have said, like, he acknowledges that Yoda had taught him that and says that maybe that's not correct? Or is it just never, is that conflict never brought up? I don't first... think it's brought up. Yeah, I think that Luke actually kind of doesn't trust most of the advice. It, like, he trusts the training that he got from Yoda, but he doesn't trust mm-hmm. the advice he got from either Yoda or um, Obi-Wan, because they lied to him a lot, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Yoda was like, don't go save your friends, it'll only end in tragedy. And yes, he did lose his hand. He didn't actually save any of his friends at the time. But it was still the correct thing to do. Not doing that would have been... Like, he tried, and he was penalized for it. He did not do it, but it was still the correct thing to do. And I think that's... Like, I think immediately after being told, do or do not, there is no try, he finds out that that's just flawed logic. Yeah. And so he... And he, I think that he takes more lessons from Yoda's strong in the Force am I, but not that strong, of mm. there is inevitability. There are things that will happen regardless of what you do, no matter how right. strong in the Force, no matter how good you are. And sometimes you just have to deal with the consequences of a thing happening. Yeah, I mean, Riki brought up in that other podcast that e- that by the last Jedi movie, the eighth movie, even Yoda seems to understand that, where he says, you know, feel, uh, where he says, failure the greatest teacher is which does seem very much more in this idea of like it's okay to try and not succeed because that's how you learn right um like if i was rebuilding the jedi order from scratch the first thing that i would do would have an hr department frankly um Mm -hmm. and i would have a lot more differentiation than the three tiers of real jedi right because the there's the you talked about how they're they've got the like the maintenance core uh, what did you call them jonah uh the service core the service core yeah they they wouldn't be listened to by anybody they aren't real jedi but if you want to be a gardener who uses the force that's where you go right right um but those people shouldn't be excluded from your your decision making and your structure right right and if i was remaking the jedi it would be it would have more than 3 real ranks it would have um, the ability to have, like, what happens if the Jedi, if a Jedi makes a mistake and burns down your village? How do you get recompense? How do you how do you deal with the Jedi screwing up? Right. Because they they will, um, and so they they need an HR department and they need some kind of external challenge system that you can yeah. challenge the Jedi if they goof, <clears throat> goof up. 
I mean, we did an episode a long time ago where we kind of talked about the idea of like, do the Jedi need a prime directive? And they sort of have one and sort of don't. And to me, like, I, I love that prime directive question. And then I also think about it in terms of from Marvel, uh, the movie Civil War and this question of like, should the Avengers have civilian oversight? And what mm-hmm. should that look like? And I think that's one of, you know, I'll also say I think our perspectives on that question have changed dramatically f- from today in the era of, you know, after Rodney King and George Floyd and, and all of this to the 1970s, where when these movies were made, when certainly in communities of color, there's a large awareness that this wasn't the ca- that wasn't the case. But to most of the American culture, it was like, yeah, of course we trust the police. We trust the military so we can trust the Jedi as well. Um, and I... Yeah, to me, if, if we start with the Jedi, one of the first things I would want is, you're right, I want a, an HR department. I also want oversight. I want some understanding of, and, and I, I, in all the books I've read, this is always brought up as a problem, that it's not clear where the Jedi fit in the power structure. You know, do they answer to the Senate? Are they separate from the Senate? Do they answer to the Chancellor? Does the, are they separate from the Chancellor? If a Jedi, you know, commits a crime... Does the civilian courts handle it or do the Jedi handle it? How How is it handled? And and to me, I think clarifying that question is just so vital to start with. So to answer that question to the best of my knowledge, um, in the Republic, when Palpatine was in charge, pretty much anything that a Jedi did short of treason or high treason was handled internally. Uh, Depo Balaba fell to the dark side and... Her recovery was handled entirely by the Jedi. She wasn't put on trial at all, despite leading a rebellion against the Republic. She was just talked to, and they're like, you'll feel better soon, we'll get you back to the light side and put you back on the council where you belong, because you're a Jedi Master, and that's where you belong. You're a member of the light side, you're one of the good guys. Right. Um, (laughs) I mean, in the New Republic era, though, uh, again, following the Legends canon, there is a very, very close tie between the leadership of the Jedi Order and the leadership of the New Republic. Because for many, many years, Leia was chief of state of the New Republic. She was right. the head mm-hmm. of the civilian infrastructure. And so if you had a problem with her brother, you could just go to her and be like, Luke is being a dingbat. Um, or <laughs> if there were other issues with the Jedi. And there were issues with the Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. One of... Luke's first apprentices, one of his first students, was somebody who did committed war crimes, more or less. Uh, it, right. it, it, I would argue more. More, more, <laughs> more war crimes. They're not even war crimes. They're like, they are beyond war crimes. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I believe his case was handled mostly by the Jedi, but he mm-hmm. was remitted to the custody of the Jedi. And he would not be allowed to have his independence until he was um, evaluated by, if not the Senate itself, then civilian members outside of the Jedi Order, as well as members of Luke's Jedi. Right. In in the new versions, do they ever address what is, I think, another one of the kind of major problems with the Jedi, at least in the as established by the prequels and the Clone Wars, but then also now the High Republic books? Which is this idea of basically like kidnapping them as babies and telling them to forget about their parents because the Jedi is their only family now. Um, I've only I've read some of the Jedi New Order books and I'm enjoying them quite a lot. I read the first half of the Jedi first Jedi Academy book. And frankly, when I got to blob races, I had to just say (laughs) thanks, but no thanks. 
God, that's a terribly written scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but even there, it's not like the worst scene in that book. But continue. Luke, <laughs> Luke is at least finding like adults to recruit. So there's a positive, but he's basically telling them, like, look, you're a Jedi, you have these powers, you have to come with me. And he's not he's not forcing them, but he's certainly laying on a super heavy guilt trip of you should be doing this. Um it, it do they go back to recruiting babies and, and taking them away from their families? Do they allow more of that connection again? How, how is there any kind of acknowledgement of that being a flaw and it being fixed in some of the Jedi stuff you've read? Oh, absolutely. Um that's good. Uh, the, I would actually argue that the Legends canon has a very different view of Force use than mm. um, than the the Clone Wars and earlier stuff. Most right. people don't manifest Force powers until puberty. Interesting. Interesting. Is, is that a yeah, great assessment, that's... Jonah? Uh, I don't know if that completely holds true. Um, the Solo kids, for example, were using the Force very young. That's fair. Uh, as well as Corrin Horn's kids. Um, which happens after the books that you've read. Like, yeah. Uh, but in both of these cases, children of Force users, Luke is like, hey, I trained your parents. You can come stay at the temple, or your parents can train you. If your parents are off doing missions, you can stay at the temple and we'll train you. You can go to school if you want. And so it's much, 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 much more flexible. There's not, mm-hmm. you have to go to the temple on Coruscant and you are trained there in these clans it's we'll find a suitable teacher for you maybe it's your parent maybe it's somebody there maybe you go to the temple on Yavin 4 maybe you go to a school in Coruscant um, but like you are absolutely allowed to have your connection with your family Cornhorn's um, mm. kids see their grandfather rather frequently to everybody's chagrin because he's an X smuggler with mm-hmm. <laughs> large quotation marks around the X part of that statement. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that alone seems like it's a huge benefit because, especially in the High Republic books, but also in the Clone Wars, you just get so many stories of that one of the worst parts of, of being a Jedi and one of the ways that so many of them are really hungering for connection with other sentient beings is because they're taken away from their families and they're raised you know, kind of in in a dormitory instead of by a loving family. Oh, this is, yeah. So this is an important part because earlier we were talking about how many Jedi have no practical skills during the time of the Republic. Right. And uh, Jaina Solo, son of Leia and Han in the Legends canon, she is a very talented pilot and mechanic because her father is Han Solo. And he doesn't know anything about the Force, but he knows a thing or two about flying spaceships. And so that's mm. the that's what he imparted on his children, the ones that wanted to spend that time with him and learn in that way. And so Jaina spent a lot of her youth in the belly of the Falcon with Chewie and Han getting electrocuted and getting herself dirty. And so right. during the war, when she's out of commission because she's like, I can't be on the front lines right now. I'm not in a mental state to do that. She's like can I help fix spaceships for a little bit? Give me a wrench. I can fix something. I can still help while mm-hmm. not putting myself in a place where things could get worse for me. Um, and she's also able to understand what a mechanic goes through. And like she has chats with normal human beings and other right. alien species and just being like, yeah, we can have this exchange like equals because that's where she's from. 
And I love that in those books, that's not seen as a bad thing, because certainly in the Clone Wars, we often do get this idea that, like, one of the things that the rest of the Jedi think Anakin is really strange about is that he connects with the, like, soldiers who he fights with, you know? And he likes flying. Like, what kind of Jedi likes flying? You're supposed yeah. to be attached to the Force, not to having fun flying a spaceship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Dower is the, the Jedi word. Well, kind of getting back to where we were, um, so what else would you do if you were going to design your version of the Jedi Order? What would it be? Let me actually start with this. Because here's something that I think, especially the character of Ahsoka, is really giving us a great exploration of, and, and I hope we're going to see more of it in her new show coming up soon. Do you think that in a perfect world, would a person be able to be a Force user who is on the light side without being a Jedi? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I think the Jedi Order is generally unnecessary. I think that having a system of edu- I wouldn't have a Jedi Order. That's how I'd fix it. I'd get rid of it entirely. Um, I'd have instructors who have general shared do-good philosophy, but mm-hmm. there wouldn't be a badge or ranks. It would just be, are you qualified to instruct? Like, if you want to teach with us, teach with us, share your philosophy. If you have concerns, bring them up. I think it's the organization and the structure that damages the Jedi so much. So so you're arguing for more like a college organization. Yeah. Jedi frat bros? (laughs) That's the end state, right? (laughs) Um. I mean, like, I don't like government oversight. Because that is what happened in uh, Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi. And the Senate had a vote of no confidence in Luke Skywalker and kicked him out because, for political reasons, not because of his actual merit. And they put somebody who was willing to do what they asked of him, but was tending towards the dark side. And Mm. they're like, you are now in charge of the Jedi Order. And that did not end well for anybody. Yeah. There was, I believe they called it the Second Galactic Civil War, which is <laughs> silly because there's been way more than two. But yeah. <laughs> well, and that's also just funny because, again, now we're back to the exact same question as uh, Civil War, you know, because I get terrified when someone says, let's have this institution of these ridiculously powerful people who can, you know, get away with almost anything given their mind control powers and the fact that, like, they're pretty impossible for civilians to start to stop in a fight. And now we're saying like, we shouldn't have any like organization that holds them to rules or things like, like, I think you're right. And it's like, and here's where we're really getting that the damned, if you do damned, if you don't thing, because it's kind of like, do you plan the organization based on the assumption that they're going to be at their worst? So you need the order or plan it based that they're going to be on their best, in which case let them all go do their own thing. But then how do you deal with the bad apples? Right. Try them like everybody else, and yeah. you put huts as your judges because they can't be affected by Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I would actually make two parallel organizations. Um, I would have a civilian-style organization. A collegiate organization sounds fine to me, honestly. It would probably be more of a certification body of, like, you have to, if you have force powers, have a hold a membership. It's, like, the Senate, the Senate or whatever or whatever government pays the it pays this organization to exist. You, it's compulsory membership for anybody that doesn't want to join the military organization because you have to know if somebody's a force user, right? Right. Um, I'll allow that. It like it because it, this is the the people have 
people have mind control powers, right? And so, mm. like, there's there's certain legal obligations that come with more capabilities. And then you have a military organization. You just straight up have a a training organization that inspires ethics and inspires duty and obligation. And the rules are you try to do more good than harm. You own up to everything, and you your organization instead of being structured for obedience to hierarchy um the 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 organization is built so that what you what you do every time your job is to question orders instead of just accept orders you're kind of Mm -hmm. reverse military organization but you have to understand how orders and structure work and so you must be like you spend some time learning how to thrive in a in an actual functional organization and then the jedi are out there they you would have the head of the organization would be wouldn't be removable right they they aren't a military arm they're a they're a judgment and ethics and order questioning arm they are themselves the oversight for other organizations um and they it's a it's a really difficult and weird but hopefully the force will help them do better and the goal their their motto is everybody makes mistakes um and so their their goal is just to help solve help people solve mistakes listen to problems and help them get solved and if there's a big war and they go out to assist with the war they can be put in command positions but their job in a command position is mostly to question the organizational structure which is going to piss people off but that's fine because they have force power so they can survive being pissed off people I definitely can see the appeal of that, especially because I think, you know, the attachment question is an interesting one. And and part of it's that, you know, professionals are expected to not allow conflicts of interest to, uh, you know, affect what they do. You know, the if a firefighter is in a situation where like someone they love is in one room and 10 people are in another, they're supposed to save those 10 people. But the other side of that is that this is why, like for cops and firefighters, at least in a lot of areas, you're not supposed to work in the neighborhood you live to avoid those kind of things exactly. And and I, I think that the kind of stuff you're talking about, yeah, there's a little bit more structure. People can still have some freedom to do things, but now you start to avoid the issues that come up with attachment of, you know, maybe so you can have attachments, but hopefully that's not going to affect how you're doing your work out in the world. I think what I would like to see as like a little addendum to this is encouraging Jedi or Force users, members of this organization, whatever we're going to call them, to take at the very least like an internship of some period of years in more mundane jobs and less Mm -hmm. galactic hero job. Um, Because like being a worker on a construction site, great. Maybe working in retail for a couple of weeks or months or years. What about a psychologist? Like, just a bunch of Jedi who are trained in soci- sociology and psychology, and they're just social workers helping people who have PTSD mm-hmm. or have been in abusive relationships. Having somebody who can actually sense your emotions is actually... It'd be game-changing. S- yeah, Pseudo-magically yeah. empathic, and with your consent, can, like, redirect your feelings, like use the mind control for good or like <laughs> if you're in the middle of a panic attack help you suppress that uncontrollable emotion until you're able to get a grip on it yourself and then ease you back into those feelings like yeah. that'd be amazing why don't jedi do that why do they run around with lightsabers everywhere when they could actually be helping people's mental well-being 
Right. Star Wars, the therapist's office doesn't make a good movie. You need the explosions lightsaber. I mean, it's the same. Well, you know, make I make a great TV show, though. I, I mean, I've always said that the thing, the TV show that I want to write is the therapists who are dealing with the, the superheroes, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. Like, it, it's not going to be all Star Wars and, and explosions and, and superheroes, but there's so much story to tell there. I, I also just want to pick up on what you said, because I thought you were going to go in a different direction, which would also happen if you did what you're talking about, which is that it gets Jedi out of the ivory tower. Oh, absolutely. You know, so much, Agreed. I think, the problem with the Jedi is that they only speak to other Jedi. And they, you know, the um, I, I remember when uh, uh, President Bush, the first, the older President Bush, was running for uh, a re-election against Clinton. And, and one thing that happened was he didn't know how much a, a gallon of milk cost. And he didn't understand how a, like, checkout machine worked. Because no one had, he hadn't done it. He had people who did that for him. And it was, and that was one of those media stories that's always taken out of context. But the point being, like, you have to live among the people you're helping. And so much of the Jedi story, especially in the Clone Wars, is that they don't. They don't understand why, you know, when they come to a planet and blow up three quarters of the buildings on the planet, but at least we saved you from the Separatists, the people there don't think that's good, you know? And they, they don't get it because they, they think the people should hate the Separatists just as much as they do. Um, and so, yeah, I love that idea of also the Jedi just living out in the world. I, I also just wanted to bring up, uh, for Rob, what you were saying about there having to be some kind of oversights. Um, I'm contractually obligated at this point now that we're going to get it back at some point to every now and then bring up the TV show Babylon 5 because it it wrestles with this question in an even more direct way because mm-hmm. in that show, you know, telepaths have now occurred within humanity and because people are worried about that sort of telepathic ability, you know, for mind control and things like that, they have to follow very specific rules. They have to join this core and they have to always wear gloves so they can't, you know, make too much of a telepathic connection. They're not allowed to gamble. Um, and in the show, one of the things is that that becomes like all the problems with institutions and it becomes really kind of like draconian and terrible. But one of the things is that if you don't want to be a telepath, you can just take these drugs that'll, uh, subvert your telepathic abilities. And, and in the show, it's a horrible drug and it's terrible things, but it's kind of an interesting idea of like, what if you could have something like that in this world of, if you have force powers, there are certain responsibilities you're going to be held to to make sure you're not abusing those powers. But, you know, maybe they could create some way of like, hey, you, here's something you could do to, you know, resist your force power to, to uh, you know, anti-midichlorians in the blood or to take that terrible thing that shouldn't exist in canon. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just, I, I love that, like, what we're talking about here are issues that come up in all these different places. Right. They're the lizards that have the anti-force field like it's like a binary. yeah yeah and if you yeah. like if you just want to not be a jedi you just have one on your shoulder at all times yeah. and you can just like bounce and just it, be like nah not for me it, it's funny in the first new world order book not new world order new jedi order although that's an interesting slip of the tongue there <laughs> um in that book there's a thing where they come across where londo sort of runs this uh place where it's like an asteroid belt where people try to fly through it to sort of, you know, get better at evading, you know, things. And in theory, it's for, like, pilot training, but it's basically helping train train uh, smugglers. But it's become kind of a fun competition of, like, who can run it the fat, who can stay in it the longest. And they established that, like, a lot of kind of, like, you know, normal pilots do it, but that the people at the top of the leaderboard are force users. And I remember reading that being like, how is this a fair competition anymore? This is the ultimate steroid. Like, of course, force users are going to win every competition if they're allowed to compete in, without being in their own division or something like that. It Much was just a small little thing like, that again struck me as like, y- you have to have some kind of structure for this. Like, how do you have Jedi not win everything? 
Yeah. I mean, you just have a separate division for them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. At least for things where the force matters. I think, like, there are some non-force-using pilots who do really well in that competition. But it's really hard to beat the children of Han Solo, who are also the inheritors of Anakin and Luke Skywalker's degree of strength in the Force. Right. Right. You have midichlorians and pilot chlorians, or however you say it. <laughs> Which I, I want to say is... Re- well, anyway, there's that's a whole thing I, I won't go into. Um, but again, midichlorians, bad. We're not saying they should be in the canon. Um... I think that's kind of, we're starting to be able to wrap up. Uh, we've gone on for a while, and I also have this burrito that I just got delivered that smells really good, so I want to wrap up. Um, but let me kind of just use this as a last question, and you can also kind of get into any other points we haven't brought up, but do you think Order 66 could have been prevented? Like, what was the fall of the Jedi just kind of inherently always going to happen once a Sith figured out how to push on all these problems, or or could the Jedi have been saved? That's a fun question. Uh, I think that preventing the fall of the Jedi is very difficult, as long as the Sith keep to the philosophy instilled in them by Darth Bane. Because his whole thing was, wait until we can eliminate the Jedi, then press that button and get rid of them all at once, and then we take over as Lords Lords of the Galaxy. And so I think that if Palpatine wasn't in a position where he could have destabilized the Jedi Order, had a strong apprentice, and had the tools, the clones, ready to eliminate many of the Jedi, he just would have passed the baton on to somebody who had more longevity than Anakin right. would have as a Sith Lord. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, it could have been prevented on that day, but mm-hmm. not in the long term, I don't think. Right, it, it... Bane seemed to understand, and then he passed down this idea of the Jedi are a house that will collapse upon itself given enough time. Yeah, right. And so it like Order sixty six was the catalyst, but the Jedi were getting worse and worse over time. That is right. also what it looked like to me. So yeah. like they're more and more insular. They're less and less concerned to the outside world. They're less and less able to actually even detect if there was a Sith anywhere, right? More and more Jedi were leaving the Order, not necessarily falling to the dark side, not becoming Sith or Dark Jedi, but just leaving the Order and becoming Grey Jedi. There was a large movement of light side Force users outside of the Jedi Order during the Clone Wars who were just like, we don't want to associate with the Jedi. We have lightsabers and use the Force and do good in the galaxy. We are not Jedi. And their numbers were growing throughout. Because the Jedi Order was falling apart on its own. Yeah. Well, and that's good to know because I think, uh, especially before the next season of Mandalorian, I want to have you both back to do a discussion of, like, what does it mean to be a Force user who's not part of the Sith or the Jedi? uh, The Sith or the Jedi? You know, and we can get into Ahsoka and Ventress. We can get into Grogu and, you know, later Ahsoka. We can get into the Grey Jedi from the novels. I think we all associate, like, Light side, good Jedi mean good force user means Jedi, bad means Sith, and obviously there's a lot more to the world. So we'll get into all that. But thank you guys so much for this conversation. It's been great. Um, uh, for people who want to hear more about you both, um, uh, Jonah, I know you're doing a podcast now on Star Wars stuff. Where what is that, and where can people find it? Yeah, my podcast is The Archives Are Incomplete, where I'm going through all of the Legends canon Star Wars novels in chronological order. We're currently on, I believe, this week is. The Old Republic Deceived, 
Uh, you can find me at uh, fatelfgames.com slash podcast or on Twitter at Jedi underscore archive. Awesome. And Rob, I know you are mostly a social media hermit these days, but if people want to tell you how much they loved or, or disagreed with something you said today, where can they find you? Where can they poke at you under your rock? Uh, please come to the Stranded Panda Facebook group. Um, I pay mm-hmm. attention to the to the stuff there. I have not been posting, but I've been reading all the stuff. If people yeah. if people tell me I'm an idiot, I'll I'll respond. <laughs> yeah, we have some great chats, and I'm going to try and more often, especially with this episode, I'll like post a question that's kind of like you know for us to discuss and things like that, and so that'll be a great place to to get into it. Though of course, um, to all you fans listening, your feedback is really what feeds this, what makes it all possible. Um, you know. Let us know what you think. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do we bring up thoughts you haven't thought about? Do, is there a book that yet that is for you central to how you think about this that we didn't mention? Let us know. You can find us, as, as um, Rob said, on Facebook uh, in the Stranded Panda chat group. It's a great chat group for this podcast and all sorts of other great fan, geeky-related uh, podcasts. You can also tweet at us directly at uh, The Ethical Panda. You can find us on Facebook at The Ethical Panda. You can email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Or just go to the website, theethicalpanda.com. There's a feedback form there. And there, of course, you can learn about all the other great podcasts I do and that are present on the Stranded Panda Network. There you get great content about Star Trek, the MCU, uh, new movies and TV shows coming out, all sorts of great stuff. So please check all that out. Check out uh, Jonah's podcast. And most importantly, have a great day.